Hi, I'm Michael. I'm a small business owner, investor, improv artist, very, very neurotic, and always looking for something new and interesting to entertain me. I am a TV host and your host right now for what we call the Second Scene Podcast. It's a Dweebs Global production where you can go for free resume help, mental health assistance, and so much more. There's no catch. It's completely free. And we have mentors around the world ready to help. So that's dweebsglobal.org. So I'm here today with Jeremy Nori. Jeremy has a whole host of scenes, some pretty crazy scenes, super interesting. Um, he's a, a cannabis grower, a hash maker, a journalist, uh, a cannabis journalist. He was on the ground level for the rise of MMA and the UFC as a journalist for some of the top publications, the top, all the ones that I read right now. I was scanning them this morning. Uh, he is a filmmaker, director, producer, some films that uh, for Amazon, Fox, and CBS streaming platforms. He has an IMDb page. Uh, my two dreams in life are to have an IMDb page and a Wikipedia page. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I have a ways to go. You're halfway there. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome. Thanks for thanks for being thank here with us. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, thank you for having me on. I, I like the opportunity. So I thought I'd start with your filmmaking. When did you, when did you become a filmmaker? So that's what I do now. <laughs> and uh, basically, I've been doing it for about two years, maybe going on three years or so. And uh, well, successfully, <laughs> I started my first film project about eight years ago, the first real serious one. Okay. And I mean, I made a film when I was a kid just for fun. But uh, yeah, the, as an actual career, only a couple years. Right. How do you, because there's so many of us that like to do short films, like, like you, I have, uh, I go back and look at my, I have some black and white videos that I had done as a kid. It was that long ago on those little tiny, sure. sending send in, send in the film to get it uh, processed. <laughs> and then I have my mini, mini VHS tapes I've done. So oh, yeah. yeah, my first one I did with two VCRs and a disc man. So I'm right there with you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so how do you change from just doing it as a hobby to actually being somewhat successful or successful? And so uh, there's a variety of ways to do this in the film industry. Uh, typically, you would go to film school and you would follow the normal path. Like this is not the path that I followed. So I have a unique uh, experience. I basically made my own film and then tried to pitch it and realized, you know, there was a lot of trial and error during this whole process, shall we say. And I was fortunate enough through a friend of a friend to make people who are already in the film industry and um, doing, you know, film work and other things already. And it seems like your, your two main ways people get in is like the traditional way where you make something, maybe you enter it into film festivals and you get some attention from somewhere or you just keep working, you work for somebody and eventually work your way up the ladder or somebody from the film industry just kind of like brings you in like, a, like an apprentice almost, so to speak, where they just open the doorway to filmmaking for you for whatever reason. Maybe you're a celebrity. Maybe, you know, they just see a value in you for, for whatever reason that is. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what it was like for me. That's so perfect. I just plugged away real hard. I made my own film. And then, you know, luckily what we had was interesting enough to people to where that door eventually got open for me. But it was hard. 
what was this film that you that you first so, did? So it brings me back to my previous experience in the cannabis industry. So uh, I was in the cannabis industry for a long time, uh, grew, I made hash, and eventually we started doing these competitions for hash and they were traveling around the United States. And I did a even bigger event in California eventually too. There was just like a huge concert and cannabis events were booming for a while. And this little event we had was really the, the spirit of the movement of the culture of cannabis at the time. And so we were really fortunate to be kind of early adopters of this new kind of hash. And then we were ambassadors of it, bringing it around to other places and uh, bringing attention to the other people who were doing those things in different states. And we knew we had something special. So I started filming this event and I thought, you know, originally maybe we could make some videos to promote the event, but it, it was really expensive and the quality of the film work was really good. And so I thought maybe we could make a documentary out of this. I, I'm a big film fan just, you know, from growing up. And I, thought, I love, I love documentaries myself. I'm like, so lately I'm so hooked on them. Uh, a lot of people don't know what hash is though. You want to explain? Okay, sure. People know cannabis so, is marijuana. Uh, what is yeah, that and, and I gloss over stuff like that sometimes. So thank you for bringing me back. Hash is basically concentrated marijuana. So you have the cannabis plant, the female plant has the oil that we want. And it, you know, sometimes people have seen like really close up shots and it looks almost like a little mushroom, like thousands of them all growing out of the leaves. And those are called trichomes. And basically hash is a way of separating those from the plant. And there's a variety of ways of doing that. And uh, essentially they're all the same in that they're all just concentrated forms of the part of the plant we want the oils of the plant so it's a lot more potent yes it can be very very potent mm -hmm. um, certain kinds of hash are, are a little less potent and then the finesse in making the hash can give you something that is uh, very very fine and really well refined to something that's maybe not so well refined and uh, you know kind of dirty so <laughs> so you've been you've been making you've been making hash for a long time as well Oh yeah. Yeah. I made hash. I made all the different kinds of hash. Um, I'm definitely better at certain kinds than others. So, uh, what does that even mean? Different kinds. I guess so, so, uh, it's similar to alcohol in a way where, you know, you can, uh, refine alcohol to have it be like vodka or you can have it be like kind of whiskey and there's different processes to get these different kinds of alcohol effects can be slightly different too. And, uh, but they all generally are the same family. You know, they're more similar than they are different in, in a lot of ways. So I, I, you've gotten progressively better at it, more advanced at it, but I guess when you started, this might not have oh, been yeah, the legal thing you were doing, or this might've been what- Sure, sure. Back then. You know, yeah. there, there was the internet at the time, and that was where a lot of my learning kind of came in. And I was afraid, you know, some of my friends were doing it before I did it. And the product that they were making, I was very skeptical of uh, the health benefits. I would consume it maybe a little, but like this was not my thing at all at first. Um, and then, you know, when I also went to Amsterdam at a pretty young age. So when you go to somewhere like that, hash is a part of their culture. It's already had a whole journey of, you know, 
scrutiny. So there is fine hash and there's garbage hash and you can kind of see pretty dramatically what the differences are um, real, real quick when you're just, you know, in town and talking to people. I was there for the cannabis cup. So it was like, you know, the conversation of where you could get the best hash in town being an American, that was super rare. So you wanted to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I got stuck at a couple of coffee houses for many more hours than I had planned when I walked in and <laughs> sure. time and, goes by. And <laughs> me, that's still the epitome of cannabis. Uh, I've been to quite a lot of the epicenters of cannabis. Now I've been to Spain and seen their scene. That's mm -hmm. kind of the new, uh, leading place in Europe, but it's not like Amsterdam. Amsterdam, like you see those coffee shops, they got like neon lights, Mickey stoned out of his mind. There's like, there's, there's no, uh, they're not toning it down at all. It's in your face. There's, they're not worried who they're offending. They're not worried about like anything basically. Right, for people who don't know coffee shops, instead of serving coffee, they serve marijuana and- Yeah, exactly. It's like, so the way that cannabis kind of became accepted into Amsterdam culture was this gradual process of them kind of just pushing the limits. And so the first places that would sell cannabis were coffee houses. And it just kind of became adopted that that's like their version of a dispensary. And they literally have little stickers that say coffee shop with green and white means they can sell wheat. Okay. Um, so when you start, God, I'd love to go back to Amsterdam. It's so long ago. <laughs> Beautiful place. Oh, it is. It is. It's just amazing uh, how many, even back then, 20 years ago, everyone was on bicycles. Like they had, yeah. uh, yeah. like America's so far behind. We're like just putting in our bicycle lane. Oh right? yeah. The way that their streets work is like, they've got the, the traffic, then they've got a little curb and then they've got a bicycle lane and then they've got the sidewalk. Right. And, you know, it's just so much more well-designed uh, for cars and for, you know, people. I, well, I love it. For, for an American there, stoned it was it was quite difficult crossing the street at first couple times i think I, well, for the most part we don't die you know <laughs> no, no we don't we don't we get, might get hit by a bike you get some bad some nasty looks until you figure it out but yeah it's it's pretty good my very first film was my first trip to amsterdam so that one that i made as a kid that was for fun we made it in 99 uh i went to the cannabis cup and my friend brought his video camera and i took it everywhere we went I cut like say 10 hours of footage down into about an hour. And it's just like the highlights of our trip. And, uh, you know, it was a good time. That's great. That's great. <laughs> um, just to also explain to people, what's when you say a gram of hash, how long does that typically last somebody and how, how much is that? Hmm, so it depends what somebody we're talking about. So um, for, for the average to novice smoker, that might last you a pretty long time. You know, you could maybe, it's depending on how often you're smoking and how you're using it. So like if you're using it as a topper with cannabis or like on an occasional thing to kind of up your, your strength level of the cannabis that you're consuming, uh, you can make it last, you know, maybe a month. That would be a long time to make a, a gram of hash law last for people like me and friends of mine. I mean, they'll roll a whole gram into one joint. So like, it, it can be, you know, used up in a, in a couple minutes or it could last you a very long time. It's really on how you want to conserve it and how 
often you're consuming you know right i think with marijuana there's there's really like there's tolerance but then there's also everyone kind of reacts differently everyone can handle different amounts Um, you know it's culture too like so for me the people that i know that are deep in the scene everything they do we gotta smoke before we gotta smoke after you know it's like that song smoke two joints in the morning smoke two joints at night smoke all the time and then other people would be like i'll go a week I don't smoke. Maybe I smoke on the weekend once or something like that. So, right. right. I used to be a big smoker. I, I honestly don't smoke anymore. It hasn't been good for my mental health. Like some people just don't react to it the same sure, way. And it, it changes as you get older too. Most definitely. Most definitely. Um, so when you were, when you were younger, did you have any close calls when you were? Uh, oh, so many. <laughs> <laughs> it depends even what you want to mean as a close call. So as me, far as getting in trouble, like in the States, it wasn't legal until recently, but you've been yeah, yeah, absolutely. Time, so. I mean, I had like tickets for possession and, and things like that, that I got in trouble. I got my pipes taken and that kind of stuff. Uh, and when I was, I sold pot out of my house for a while. So uh, I was living in um, uh, Encino and I had like my own little apartment condo and uh, it, I got robbed there. I got home invaded there. I mean, I've had all kinds of crazy things. And then throwing my events, I was going to other states and throwing essentially what is an illegal cannabis event. We like to say quasi-legal. We tried to follow the laws that there were, but we knew at any point in time, somebody of authority could push us and, you know, make us, uh, pay or, or, you know, hold us accountable for doing these events in some sort of a way. Right. So, and like, I had so many close calls. Um, I had canine units show up at an event. I've had, when I flew to Spain, I, I got met with military police getting off the plane. Why was that? You got to explain so, that. <laughs> so that's the one everybody likes to hear about. So, so, uh, <laughs> and I go to Spain all the time. So, it's, uh... okay. so, so, uh, so when you go to, so you know this, so when you go to Spain, there's a whole process and you go to anywhere, pretty much. There's a process of them kind of looking through your bags and doing the whole thing. And there's the part where they look through your like personal carry on bags. And there's the part where they look through or like kind of scan your uh, bags that are big, you know, that just go stored on the plane that you pick up once you get there. So uh, that process is pretty different. You generally don't know what if they see anything or have a problem with your bag that's going on the plane. You don't really know that until way later on. If you've got a problem with your carry on, you know about that right away, you know, so. I had gone through the whole process. Um, I had brought all these trophies and things like that, that we were going to be giving away for the event. So I had um, all kinds of things that were like big metal electronic, like uh, I had glass, I had all kinds of stuff and like lots of little things. And, you know, I can only imagine what they look like in a metal detector. If you scan my bag, it probably looked like, an explosive device maybe i mean it could have looked like anything right. were, so, these, were these smoking devices were these or- oh yes for the most part they're all somehow related to cannabis either that they are smoking devices or they are accessories that you would use with your smoking device like you know uh we had stash containers you know things that for for uh smoking the oil the process is difficult because it's a liquid so there were torches that people had like powerful one. You didn't, you couldn't use a regular lighter. 
they were all worked up. They had artwork all over them. And, like they didn't look like, you know. I mean, they're beautiful. Stuff. Bongs, the, the, long, sure. the tall glass ones are called bongs. These smoke up. They're beautiful. Sure, sure. They are pieces of art. I mean, some of the most beautiful blown glass yeah, pieces it's of a art. Huge thing. If you don't know about glass art, the cannabis industry has pushed the glass art industry tremendously and created hundreds of colors and all kinds of things that never existed before. Right. So I wasn't super worried. Well, you but, were traveling. They weren't, I'm assuming they weren't used at this point. So they were completely clean and yeah, absolutely. Everything essentially they're being sold as tobacco. And, and I've, I've traveled to Amsterdam, come back and then got in trouble uh, by having things that were dirty and, you know, that kind of thing in the, in the past. I've had plenty of experience. So I knew going I'm like, okay, I got to have nothing. But what I will also say is this, <laughs> um, sometimes people that are close friends of mine in the industry can get me to do things that they know I've done. And, you know, we all have this kind of like outlaw mentality. So I had an entry into the event, like a hash entry, somebody that couldn't go to Spain, but they wanted to compete in the competition. So they gave me their entry and I hid it inside of one of these boxes of one of these accessories. So there was risk involved in this. So you, you thought know? it was a good idea to hide hash inside of a pipe? I've been, you know, going into Amsterdam, going into places like that for the most part, not so difficult, like coming from America. It's usually when you're coming back into America where they're like, we want to know everything. Going there, I mean, nobody even talks to me going to Amsterdam for the most part. I get off the plane and I walk right into the uh, airport and you know, nobody cares. Right. So I figured Nor that was going to be my same experience in Spain. I know, but normally people would hide it in like a, a, a you know, benign, like a bunch of toothpaste. Or like not well, also, so I have a, I have, this is like 30 grams of hash, you know, it's not a small amount. It's a lot. It's enough to get me in pretty serious trouble. Yeah, now I'm adding international drug smuggler to your intro. Uh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so I get on the plane, no problems, you know, fly to Spain, no problems. Uh, I get sick on the plane, so I'm not feeling the best. I'm like getting off the plane and there is a military policeman waiting. So not at the end, like when you're in the airport, this is literally from the hole in the plane, he's standing right there, okay? So as I exit the plane, there's no way for me to get off this plane without passing this guy, unless I like climb through the, the wheel well or something. And so I walk out, he has my picture and it's my, my passport photo. And he's like, hey, uh, and the, like there's communication where the, he's clearly asked the TS, like the, the flight people, to let him know when I was getting off, like, so that there was no confusion. And there was like, okay, this is confirmation. This is the person, blah, blah, blah. So I know, okay, so I'm a person of interest here. I don't really know what's going on. And I, I know that it's best to keep my cool in these kind of situations. So I'm nice. I'm like, okay, they want to look at me. Let's see what's going on here. I also felt like I had not been in violation of anything. So it's likely that this could be something I, I could avoid any sort of penalty for. So let's see what happens. He's got a machine gun, you know, like this is, he looks like an army guy, he's military police. And he's got this little like hat on and the whole thing. And um, he's like, there's no problem. He's, he keeps telling me that there's no problem, but I need to just come with him. And 
I'm like, okay. And uh, we're walking through the airport. And I, I said, you know, can you tell me a little bit about why, you know, he's like, there's no problem. Nope. Everything's good. Like, I get the feeling like I'm, I might like, if I ran in the airport, it's potentially possible I could get away from this guy somehow. <laughs> and so he's being like super cautious that I don't do anything erratic or like, you know? And so I just walk with the guy. He takes me under to this like area where there's lots of these military police people and there's tables all over and they take me to a table and they've got all my luggage on this table. They're all open, but nobody's gone through them yet. Okay. And there's like eight guys, maybe girls too. I can't remember. And they're like waiting to go through my luggage. And so here I come and uh, they're like, okay, we're going to go through your luggage. Is that okay? They need my, my permission or something. And so I'm like, yeah, no problem. Go for it. So they start going through my luggage and you know, my, I have three bags. Most of the bags are normal stuff. It's like just normal stuff. They're going through it. And there's one bag that's all the stuff from the, for the event. Mm -hmm. They're going through this bag and uh, they're pulling out like boxes, but they're not like, oh, they're not like the American police. They're not like super thorough. They're just pulling this stuff out. They're kind of looking at it and putting it down. and like, And then they start talking to each other. Now, my event, I had timed at the same time as a Spanish event that's pretty big for uh, selling seeds. And there's no cannabis at the event. They just sell accessories and stuff like that. And there's all these booths at the event. So I hear them start to say to each other, Festival de Cannabis. And then they say the city that that event is in. I can't remember where it was. It was like Castel de Fels or some, somewhere like that, you know? And uh, they're like, festival of cannabis they keep saying it to each other and so then there's one of them that speaks english and he says to me he's like oh are you here for the festival of cannabis and such and such and i'm like yes he's like ah all this stuff you have a booth there i'm like yep that's what it is and he's like oh do you have the paperwork i'm like oh i don't know i don't know if i have that like uh he's like don't even worry about it I pack up all my stuff and out i go <laughs> i don't know how you stayed cool that whole time <laughs> yeah. yeah well through a lot of experience and let me tell you inside physical chaos going on <laughs> you were dying inside yeah of course you know there's like panic yeah, picturing the jail cell picturing where they were gonna oh, you yeah, were gonna I don't know what's gonna happen here we've all seen those movies so <laughs> so now you you sell so you sell what do you what do you do in the industry at this point that in is cannabis i'm currently not doing anything other than making films related to cannabis so uh doing all that stuff for the years and like traveling and part of it is recreational, you know, part of it is fun. I love it. I, I treat it like wine. I'm into the, all the different nuances of the whole thing, but then you meet, uh, and, and some of my use is medical. And then you also meet people who have like tremendous medical necessities that cannabis helps them with. I wanted to give light to a lot of those stories. My very first three films are all about cannabis and cancer and medical cannabis in general. And as I'm proceeding in the film industry, I have a variety of projects that are stories about cannabis pioneers or you know some sort of cannabis story that I wanna bring light to. 
and uh, that's what I'm doing for right now. Okay, that's that's great. What have you seen firsthand cannabis do for for a cancer patient? Oh, so in my movies, we have some pretty powerful stories where they are entirely cured and they are fairly convinced that it is from taking cannabis. They had gone through this long, rigorous process of normal uh, medical process of, of dealing with cancer and then having like really negative responses to that, some positive, some negative and and then just kind of the, the story of uh, how they actually treated their cannabis, uh, their cancer with cannabis. That's something left out in all the movies where they talk about this stuff. They always tell you, oh, good news. Cannabis can help you with this problem or with that problem. But they don't really get into like how you are supposed to do this. And people a lot of times walk away thinking I'm going to smoke joints and this is going to somehow help me with this serious medical problem that I have. And most of the time that's not true. So uh, we get into it. Yeah, you have to consume it and you pretty much have to consume massive amounts of concentrated cannabis, even smoking it. Like, so we smoke hash. That's not good enough for the most part. You know, you can get a lot of therapeutic benefit. There's like pain relief. There's some stuff that it definitely helps with. But when we're talking about like cancer, when we're talking about serious illnesses, you have to be eating it. And then to further that you probably shouldn't be eating things that are like cupcakes or, you know, right. bad food. You want to be consuming this in the most healthy way possible. Right. No sugar. So, Essentially, mm-hmm. no sugar. Exactly. You don't want things that have a bunch of vegetable oils in it either. And, you know, you want stuff that's like basically just a pill that is the concentrated cannabis or, or something to that effect as little bad things as possible. Does the pill, does the pill have the high effect or do they, they most of this cannabis? Oh yes. And uh, uh, the amount that they tell these cancer patients to take is frightening even to me. So I smoke hash every day to eat a whole gram or more of concentrated cannabis every day. That's powerful. That's a lot. Right. Can't they grow it with the, aren't there strains though that have reduced that? for medical reasons in a way but basically what the biggest problem with the whole thing right now is that we don't have isolated chemicals or isolated uh strains that we know what part of the plant is you know helping the problem so the best way to help the problem is just to give like a bouquet of all the chemicals that you could possibly get we call it full spectrum Mm -hmm. and you want to just have as much as you could possibly have in that blend so that you're hoping your body distributes the parts that you need to the places that you need it. And uh, generally that is through these concentrated amounts. And at the moment, there's no way to avoid that. So uh, you start small and you work your way up, kind of like other medicines, you know? Right. So So you also uh, were early on, you were a journalist. You were a journalist in the cannabis industry and also MMA. Yeah. So that's how I got started in the cannabis industry. I I originally was uh, a fan of MMA. I went to my local video store one day and they had like this section that was like occult. And there were like, you know, the faces of death movies were there and really off the wall, crazy stuff. And one of the things they had on that wall was the first two UFCs. They had UFC one and they had UFC two. And I was a fan of pro wrestling also. I loved pro wrestling growing up. Mm-hmm. And at that time, there were all these weird little like pro wrestling fighting kind of spinoffs 
that you would see on TV and be like, ah, cage match. And so, so just so people know, pro wrestling was more more fake. Yeah. uh, Still, super skilled people. They still get injured. It still takes an incredible athlete to do it, but it's pretty much predetermined outcomes. You know, like these aren't competitive fights. These are performances, like stunts. And so, like, uh, that's what they all were. And I saw the UFC and you're like, is this real or is it not real? The only way to kind of really know was to rent the video. So I did. And I became a fan right away. I remember calling my dad in and be like, look, dad, see, it's real. This is real. Like, this isn't like the wrestling. It's actually real. The UFC is is one of the biggest sports right now. But yeah, back then. Yeah, yeah. It was and it was crazy for a little while. And and, um, the events were these like tournaments and it got ugly quickly and i lost interest in it relatively soon because it was tough for somebody to go from the very beginning of the tournament to the very end of the tournament just without injuries let alone winning all their fights that's what they would do it wasn't like now it's more like boxing where there's matches every week if you win you'll fight again like three months down the road but then it was tournaments in a day like it yeah and even even if you do see a tournament it's generally like maybe two fights you know, sometimes there's three, like in kickboxing, they do this pretty often where they'll have maybe two fights to three fights in a night. And, and that's, you know, crazy still. Uh, sometimes people get injured. And, and so uh, also the government took a huge stance against the UFC. And this is kind of how I got to be doing anything. They banned it on all these pay-per-view, you know, you could only get it on the internet. It was this underground thing. It was losing money. It was becoming this really small thing. And um, my, I met a guy that was still hardcore into it. I'd kind of lost track of it and he was still into it. And he's like, no, you can see it here. He was showing me videos. And then there was, there was this new organization in Japan. He was showing me videos of this and I was loving it. And, and, uh, yep pride exactly so early on in pride and i was he was showing me the guys and said, look this guy sakuraba and look at this guy vanderlei silva and so and like oh my God. Was, one of the reasons i'm sorry one of the reasons pride was pretty exciting back in the day is it was a lot of guys on heavy steroids they were like beyond human like they were it was run by the yakuza like, and they were doing crazy stuff they loved the spectacle so they would put big guys against small guys they would do all kinds of stuff like that Oh, yeah. And they would sign fights in like a, a, the week before the event and like huge fights. And so it was the, the wildest, you know, rock star kind of, and it, it was huge. It was so much bigger than UFC. Mm-hmm. I, I think the biggest pride event was like almost a hundred thousand people. So, so, uh, it, it was crazy. And I got hooked. I started watching. I started following it super hard. And then as I was going to these websites, I started realizing, oh, there's like an opportunity here to like write for these other websites that were new that were coming out. And um, I just I had always done well in English class. And uh, one of the websites that was fairly new at the time was MMA Weekly. And MMA Weekly uh, put out a thing. They're like, we need writers. We need people to write stories for our website. And I applied for that and they liked what I wrote. And so I got a job writing every week for MMA Weekly. And it was a good thing for a long time. And eventually I uh, did writing for other websites. And I just also like to write for fun on one of the cannabis websites. Somebody saw me on there. And they're like, I have a magazine I'm going to come out with. It's print. 
It's not just an online thing. Um, and I thought, oh, this is my first time to write something and have it like printed. I'll do that. And so I started writing for the cannabis magazine. Then that started like bringing me to all these people in California that were the heads of these cannabis businesses. And I was, you know, getting kind of indoctrinated into the industry in this way that was super uncontin. You know, a lot of these people, they had their own group. They didn't let outsiders into their group. You know, this is still an outlaw thing to a, a big degree. And I was getting welcomed in to all these different families, all these different communities. It was a really awesome time. Nice. Uh, do you still do any of the writing? Uh, so I, I think I wrote something for a magazine um, like a couple years ago or something. But no, I don't do any writing right now. I would love to. I, I still um, every now and then like to write. And I'm writing a book kind of about all my horror stories from the cannabis industries. So that's what people love to hear about. <laughs> um, of course. So, yeah. So you're, you, you really go through a whole career and you tie a knot around it and you, you move on to the next. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, I mean, I, I would love to also get back to throwing cannabis events. There's certain things that I would love to get back to. But like, there's also a part of me that just fundamentally looks towards life in that I don't want to negatively be looking back on my past and I don't want to be chasing some sort of dream that uh, I, I need to let go and moving on for the most part is a healthy thing for humans. And when I think about myself and I look back at those times, I try to focus on looking back at them as like positive, wonderful experiences, but not getting lost in the trying to recreate that experience because generally that never goes well so <laughs> that's wise so well coming full circle back to the films so you created your first documentary essentially is what it was with your own money your own yeah. your yeah. own thankfully the the events were doing well and uh you know i mean that one that i shot when i was a kid that was 100 percent our own money you know, my, I've used my friend's video camera, but like I bought all the videotapes and, you know, I did it all on my own time. And so that was, that was all my own money. But then we used the money from the events. The, the events were doing well enough that they're profitable enough that I could put advertising uh, money into the like marketing kind of, of the event. And uh, we were hoping for a different or more quick uh, outcome but you know it is what it is so I spent quite a lot of money it's by far the most money I ever have spent on making a movie you can tell looking at your IMD page the, the profession you're getting more professional as you go sure yeah and I wanted to take on more and more serious subjects too like we went from cannabis to like Bigfoot and UFOs and stuff like that which I do love and those are interests of mine but I don't want to be known as like the UFO guy. So we did some other more serious topics. Uh, we did mindfulness most very recently. And that one is like a really uh, doing that film was super good for me. And I feel very, very strongly that that should be something everybody kind of looks into. It starts practicing more. Uh, it'd be super beneficial for the whole planet. Agreed. Uh, there's a lot of sun. People think that that's voodoo as well. And there's not, that's there's science. It is science. Even, science yeah. even that, if, if you're not getting into like the full on thing, just being more thoughtful about the things that you do is generally a good rule. Right, right, right. Be more present. 
how are you what are you doing for cbs amazon and fox what type of work are you doing for them at this point so when, when we release movies typically they are released on amazon prime but right now amazon prime has a hold on new documentaries and uh we don't know exactly why this is we think that it's because they were getting bombarded with um fuzzy math type of documentaries. Amazon has kind of been slowly paying us less and working less and less with independent filmmakers. Mm -hmm. The other platforms that are newer are starting to really step up. So CBS has a platform, uh, it's called Pluto TV and it is a free app that you can download and everything on there is free. And they have all kinds of channels and it's a, it's a real different kind of approach and they're starting to kind of bring in new things and change it up and be a little bit more friendly. They're listening to the people and that, that stuff's great. And a few of our things are on Pluto TV, uh, but Fox has really stepped up for independent filmmakers and their platform is called Tubi TV. It is also a free app that you can download and everything on there is free and they've been picking up everything we make basically i think i mean maybe there's like two or three of our films that aren't on there at this point but almost everything that i've made you can now watch free on uh, 2b tv and that's no membership nothing you know it's 100 free right how do you how do you get in so we use a distributor uh we uh have a couple different distributors that our independent filmmaker, uh, they're, they're geared towards independent filmmakers. So we submit our films to them. If they accept our film, then, and we kind of know what they're looking for at this point. And, and my partner has 25 years experience. He edited for like Fox TV for a while. And he has, you know, a lot more experience than me. And so he kind of knows the parameters of what we got to do and uh, how to present it to them so that everything gets accepted. Okay. Well, keep working. Uh, you know, you're doing some stuff that I wish I was doing. I, I would love to be out there document, uh, doing some documentaries, filming and editing. I used to love that stuff. Um, you're making me... Part of it is just doing it, you yes. know? Like, uh, another, like, one of the big traditional ways is you can, like, just get out there, make your own thing, and then enter it into film festivals. And there's a lot that you can enter for free. So... Okay. Uh -huh. Where can people find you? So the best way to find my movies is to put in my full name, Jeremy Norrie, into the website imdb.com, and then you'll get a list of all my movies. You can look those movies up wherever you watch streaming. So they're not going to be everywhere. A lot They're not on Netflix. They're not on some of the bigger platforms. But on a lot of the smaller platforms, we have movies, especially like if you're into ufos they're on the ufo streaming platforms if you're into mindfulness you'll probably find those on a lot of the self-help platforms they're on hundreds but primarily they're on amazon prime 2b tv and pluto tv so go to my instagram it's uh, at sky island storytelling and uh, it's the same on facebook and on twitter it is sky island stories so Sky Island Stories. It's so for Jeremy Nori, N-O-R-R-I-E. Um, and check out his films. Pretty neat yeah. stuff. Thank you so much for being here today with us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, you're welcome. My pleasure. Um, again, this is a Dweebs Global production. They supply free mentorship help for people around the world. They have over 500 volunteers offering free help from mental health assistance to resume writing. Check them out at dweebsglobal.org. I'll see y'all next week.